everybody. Welcome to Rachel's Reviews. This is a Hidden Gems podcast where we talk about the streaming services and some deeper cuts that you can find that are really worth your time. And we have so much fun doing this every week. This week we are back in Netflix. It's our sixth episode of Netflix Hidden Gems. And I'm film critic Rachel Wagner and Ryan is here. Uh, hey Rachel, so great to be back with you again. You are looking absolutely stunning with that hair. Oh my Aww, god! Like, are, thank you. <laughs> am I recording a podcast with the Mo- with Mona Lisa? Like seriously, like you're pulling it off, girlfriend. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> That's very sweet. I did. I, I finally got my hair cut and colored. I haven't done it since this whole. I don't think I've done it this whole year because I put it off. Uh, I was kind of putting it off in uh after Sundance and uh and then everything exploded and so I went over to my uh, friend Stephanie's friend Shelly she has a uh, hair salon in her house and uh, so everything was very safe and uh and we did it and she did an amazing job so <laughs> thank you yeah my, nice. my hair's not all that complicated I just walk in there and be like just cut a little off and be like just that'll be ten dollars like that <laughs> that's it like i'm not very messy when it comes to my hair it's as long as it doesn't get up and leave like i'm fine with it. yeah i i've had the same haircut basically since i was uh since i was a teenager uh that i basically do and so uh, this was a little bit shorter than maybe i typically do but i i was really happy with it as long as i can still put it up in a ponytail that's the key <laughs> So before we dive into our picks this week, I thought it would be fun for us to give our little review of the trial of of the Chicago 7. It's a big new release on Netflix and uh, this by writer and director Aaron Sorkin about the true events that happened with the uh, trial of of seven uh, people on trial for protesting at the democratic national convention in 1968 and uh this is quite the event quite the trial uh, quite the courtroom drama uh what did you think uh, ryan about this movie what did you think of it i don't think it's top tier aaron sorkin but it's still very good uh i'm i'm a big sorkin fan i know rachel you're kind of lukewarm on him he he's very hit or miss for you but for me personally there are very few of his movies that I'm like, oh, I'm not a big fan of that. And if I had to do a ranking, I don't think Travelers of the Chicago 7 would be like breaking the top tier, but it would be, it's definitely above average. I love the cast in this movie because I, had, I hadn't even seen a trailer for this, just so everybody knows. And so when I was watching this, it was just like me playing the guessing game of who can I spot the actor. And turns out, this cast is absolutely loaded. You got Sasha Baron Cohen, Eddie Redmayne, who I adore, uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, who was awesome in Aquaman. Uh, Jeremy Strong is in it. Mark Rylance is in it. My man, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, sticking up for independent creators everywhere. Uh, our boy, Michael Keaton, who can do no wrong in mine or your eyes, and I'm talking to everybody at home. It just... And, and it goes on and on. Frank Langella, who's been great for years. John Carroll Lynch, who was in one of my key, favorite Keaton movies, The Founder, and was also in, in Face Off as a very prickish prison guard. So, I mean, up and down the list, it's just excellent. And combine that with Aaron Sorkin dialogue, who's 
dialogue is basically consisting of excellent people saying excellent things for, well, in the case of Sh Trials Chicago 7, two hours and 10 minutes. It's like, this is a feast for the ears. And I was, I was absolutely loving it. Yeah. So I think that uh, this has a lot of strengths. It definitely has its weaknesses. I mean, my problem with Sorkin is, I mean, I've never hated one of his movies. I've just never loved them as much as I feel like everybody else seems to love his movies. And uh, and so maybe this one, I feel like maybe I'm kind of, maybe even a little higher than other people on it. I'm, or I'm like right in the same. So it's like my normal reaction is what everyone else is having. Um, my problem with Sorkin is that I feel like he, he writes great dialogue, but I feel like sometimes his characters are lacking and uh, they're, they're a little one note. And I wish that they were a little deeper uh, than to be at that kind of masterpiece level is, is what I'm talking about. Like, I don't, I, I, I haven't gone rotten on very many of his movies. I just am never as excited as it seems like everybody else is about his, his characters. And, uh, and so that, that's kind of my concern. And here I, it wasn't quite as bothersome to me because I didn't feel like the movie was really depending on the characters because it is an ensemble film. So they were kind of all working together as opposed to really like something like Steve Jobs where that character needs to be flushed out. It needs to be more than just this greedy guy. Uh, and so I think that um, that the ensemble-ness of it worked for me. And it seems to be a thing this year that there were a lot, there have been a lot of movies made off of plays. And this kind of feels like that. Feels like, it, I know it's not, but it feels like it's made out of a play. You know, it's almost all in one room uh, and uh, just the theatricality of it uh, feels very uh, like it was, it feels very stagey, um, but I found some satisfaction in that and there were some fun moments and, and some rah, rah, rah kind of moments. And uh, so overall, I enjoyed it and uh, yeah, I mean, great cast. I thought they all did a good job. It's probably my favorite Mark Rylance that I've ever seen. Because I'm, I'm not as into him as it seems like, again, everybody else seems to be. He seems like he gives the same performance in every movie. Um, but uh, but he's good here, I think. And, uh, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, the slow clap is super cringy at the end, but I, especially by him. But nevertheless, it was a fun moment. It kind of almost felt Capra-esque to me. Uh, yeah, it, it it reminded me a lot of the ending of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Yeah. Like yeah. it didn't it really didn't need to be in there, but it's the come down from everything that we have just experienced. Yeah. And Frank Capra understood that. That's why I say in all my reviews for Capra movies that he followed the philosophy of it doesn't matter how dark you get, as long as the good guys get to win. And, right. and the good guys get to win in this case. And if I may provide a bit of a mild defense for Steve Jobs, because I love that movie. Uh, I think what the movie did kind of, I think what the movie was missing was that it failed to bring any nuance to Steve Jobs. And if you read into his life, you'll find that he is, he's a very complicated person. He had a lot of flaws, but at the yeah. end of the day, he had the best intentions in mind. The movie kind of missed some of that, but I think, I think what you were missing, Rachel, in some of your analysis was that 
was that he always tried to do what was right. And he always had this chip on his shoulder of, okay, I was forced out of my own company. I'm going to start up next and I'm going to take it to him. He ended up failing, but at the end of the day, he ended up exactly where he needed to be. So mm-hmm. again, mild defense, but a well, no, that's fine. So you saw more humanity in him than I saw. I felt like it was kind of, to me, it seemed like a, a two hours of kind of beating up on him. Like there, I, I wanted there to be one moment where of, of more humanity, where he was like, maybe show the Pixar guys and their relationship with him or something. Uh, I don't know. I just... And, and the way that it was set up with the three openings, I thought that was a sort of a strange narrative choice, you know, with the three events. Um, but, uh, but I get it, you know, and, and, and it's certainly well acted and well made, um, but I was just, it seemed like kind of a smear campaign and I felt kind of, I don't know, I was just kind of like, can you show more humanity to him? Uh, but I get that. Yeah, he was a very complex uh, person, and and even in the in um, uh, Creativity Inc., they talk about how he was difficult. Um, so it's not like, uh, but he did have his friends uh, as well. Yeah. Creativity but anyway. Inc. is Creativity Inc. is a phenomenal book, by the way. For yeah, any of so you good. who have not read it, I highly recommend it. I also recommend reading the book that Steve Jobs was based off of, Steve Jobs, (laughs) written by Walter Isaacson. I read that thing cover to cover. I think it could probably break my foot if I dropped it, but it was, it was a thick book, but Mm -hmm. it was, it was, it was endlessly fascinating. Like just going through Steve Jobs's ascension, starting at Apple up in his garage with Waz and then, you know, being forced out and starting up next and that being a colossal failure. And then yeah. just like starting Pixar and and then finally being welcomed back into Apple again. And just, it, I I recognize that not a, not a lot of people were fans of Steve Jobs. He was a bit of a prickly pear when it comes to his personality. But I think at the end of the day, he also had a lot of strengths. And I mean, yeah. we, wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't have these without him. So I think maybe we should show just a bit of gratitude. Yeah. And I mean, Sorkin is is i'm not gonna say he's a socialist but he's definitely on that on leaning that way (laughs) and so the you know he turns these capitalists into these you know these demons you know whether it's zuckerberg or uh or or jobs you know the 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 worst um and uh how dare somebody make money yeah how dare anyway so but there's a very important scene in this movie with michael keaton uh and uh that is what we are going to talk about for our best and worst this week so if you haven't checked that out make sure that you do um but what do what would you give out of uh, if you were doing five stars what would you give to the trial of chicago seven uh i thought about this for a very long time and i think i think i would give it like three and three quarter stars if if we're not doing quarters i'll bump it down to three and a half i <laughs> okay um i gave it a uh i actually gave it a eight out of ten on ron tomatoes um so i was pretty excited about it it's, it's very it's when once you finish watching it it kind of leaves you on that high it's a very thrilling kind of ending so 
there we go. That's the trial of Chicago seven. So let us know if you've seen it, what you think of it and uh, where it lands for you in the Sorkin canon. <laughs> oh, all right. Are you ready to talk about some Netflix? Let's rock and roll. All right. Okay. So yeah, we have some really fun stuff. And the first film that I'm going to talk about is a film that I saw at Sundance. And this is called Dick Johnson is Dead, <laughs> which is a very interesting title. Uh, but I loved this movie. This is a very interesting uh, documentary because there's also sort of flights of fancy within it that you typically don't get in a documentary. But it's all about this uh, documentary filmmaker, Kirsten Johnson, who is having to sort of deal with the fact that her father is getting older and getting dementia. And, and so she stages all of these ways of her father supposedly dying and, uh, and as a way of kind of processing that reality. And I really loved it. Dick Johnson is the best. He is the sweetest man. He reminded me of my grandpa, who I loved so much. And uh, this is just a very heartwarming, thoughtful, funny uh, film that's a different documentary than you've ever seen quite before and uh, I, I highly rec recommend it Kirsten she was so amazing at Sundance she was such a great she did such a great Q&A where she would walk she walked down the aisles and was taking questions and was just so great and so I I think I I liked it even especially because of that but even aside from that it she's she's made something i think really special and unique to honor her father so and he as far as i hear no he is not dead <laughs> spoiler alert <laughs> but when it's all about dealing with that yeah i had never heard of this one i actually the first time i heard it was when rachel you wrote your sundance wrap-up and i was reading that and i was scrolling through it and i'm like dick johnson is dead like that's such a weird title for a movie but it, it sounds it sounds really interesting is this yeah. like an actual documentary or is it made like a documentary feel yeah so no it's an actual documentary but there's like flights of fancy as i would say where like you see him getting hit in the head with a um uh with a air conditioner and then there's like a pool of blood or whatever and then it zooms out and you see that it's the special you know special effects in the movie making and, and everything like that and so he she keeps doing things like that as a way of kind of sort of processing the experience of like what it's going to be like and and then there's also sort of like flights of fancy of him being in heaven and and um uh kind of partying <laughs> with the angels and stuff like that and so it's 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 very different. It's very unique. There's a whole they actually like stage his funeral and his um his best friend gives the speech and you are going to cry when you hear that speech. It's so good and um yeah, it's all about sort of examining death and dementia and life and all of that. So it sound it sounds fascinating. It it yeah. Is it is it kind of like breaking the fourth wall type stuff? Yeah, yeah. There's some breaking the fourth wall and uh, just some some fictional moments mixed in with the documentary. So uh, some I can't think of a way to say it, but like flights of fancy, sort of sort of imaginations and oh. of what might it be like, like visions. 
Kind of, yeah, yeah. So, if I, I think the the trailer kind of shows it pretty well, but he's such a lovable man, and he was at uh, him and his friend who speaks at the funeral were both at Sundance and smiling and happy and everything. Now, are Kristen Kristen Johnson and Dick Johnson their mother or not mother daughter father and daughter? There, yes, that's IRL. Yes. Yeah. In real life, that's her dad. And she's having to kind of, her dad is moving in with, uh, with her and he'd been a psychologist his whole life. So his perspective is especially kind of thoughtful and interesting about all of this. And, uh, so yeah, they're having to adjust to having him in their house and like I said, he's getting dementia. How do they deal with that? So, and she's a neat lady. I really loved her. She was so cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember uh, last year having to go through my grandfather's passing and uh, it, it wasn't, it wasn't fun. Like, I'll yeah. just, I'll just spare everyone the details, but, uh, but I guess we all deal with death in our own ways, I suppose. Yeah. So I think you would, you would like this, you know, I, it, it really rang true for me uh, after having lost both my grandmas last year. So uh, I, I haven't watched it again since Sundance, I have to say, but, uh, but I am, I, I think I, I still will like it. <laughs> um, but yeah, one of my favorite movies of 2020 still. So uh, what about you? What's your first pick? So my first pick is a TV series that ran from 2015 to about 2017 or so. Uh, it's based off of the Thomas Harris novels, and it is Hannibal. Uh, this is this is uh, this is a TV show adaptation of of Thomas Harris's classic novels about Dr. Hannibal Lecter and Will Graham. Uh, Dr. Hannibal Lecter, as we all know, was from *The Silence of the Lambs*, played brilliantly by Anthony Hopkins, and was played and Hopkins played him several times, all the way up to, I believe, *Hannibal Rising*. But uh, but in this TV show, uh, Dr. Lecter is played by Mads Mikkelsen. I'm a big Mads Mikkelsen fan. I think he is he's consistently great in everything he's in. My favorite Bond villain is Le Chief. Uh, he's in this great movie called The Hunt. Uh, he's been in a lot of quality stuff. Uh, Will, uh, I forgot, I forgot his name. Will Graham is played by Hugh Dancy and he's really good as well. I find that the best relationship between Will Graham and Hannibal Lecter is one where Will Graham is somebody who is just barely good. Like he's got a lot of demons in his head, but always but always is like walking the razor's edge between good and evil. He's good, but just barely. And Dr. Lecter is somebody, well, in the case of this show, somebody who you, who, who's very charismatic, he's very well liked, but we all know deep down inside, he is Hannibal the Cannibal, for lack of a better term. Uh, this, is, this is a very well-made show. Like I said, Matt Mickelson, Hugh Dancy are both great. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne is awesome as Jack Crawford. I personally, uh, I think all of the portrayals of Jack Crawford over the years have been great, whether it's Scott Glenn in Silence of the Lambs, or uh, I can't remember, I can't remember the one that was in Manhunter, but there was all really good. And Lawrence Fishburne does a really, really good job. Like when you need someone to be stern, but also likable, 
you call Lawrence Fishburne. He was Neo in the Matrix. He was Perry White in the DCEU. Like, he's, he's great. Um, this show was rather notorious for being canceled in season two. And basically, the fans pulled a Lucifer and were like, we want the show back. We want it back. And they ended up getting one more season out of it. It's only three seasons, but it's three quality seasons. I wish it were still going, but we can't always get what we want. But uh, but Rachel, have you heard of have you heard of this show? I've heard of it. I've never seen it, but I've heard of it and heard that it's very well made, very well done. Yeah, good. Okay, so my next pick is also a series, uh, and we're going to talk about Virgin River. And I might have already talked about this. I couldn't remember. I don't think so. Um, But anyway, Virgin River, it is a really fun series uh, that is about this woman who uh, has kind of a troubled past and she goes to become a doctor in this small town. And the doctor that is there uh, doesn't want her there. Uh, resents her being there and but she just pushes on through and of course it's got all the quirky members of this small town and she ends up meeting jack who owns the local bar and he's kind of rough around the edges but sweet and they have i don't know there's just various things happen with the town it's really sweet and uh and also sad and also it's kind of got the drama it's got the the it's got everything you want in this kind of show. Uh, if you like something like Heart of Dixie or uh, or um, Men in Trees, which I loved, uh, that kind of show, even Parenthood, even though that's about a family, that kind of tone and that kind of show, then you'll like Virgin River on Netflix. Is this uh, is this more of a uh, is this more of a romantic drama or a romantic comedy? romantic drama yeah because there's a lot she's got a lot of uh a lot of demons in her past with uh that have caused her to come to this small town and grief and dealing with all those kind of things they're definitely romantic comedy moments for sure between her and jack and also just between the different kind of wacky characters of this town you kind of have all that there's a kind of a fun mayor the other doctors this grumpy old man and so there's some comedic value there and uh, so yeah it's uh it's I would I'd still call it a drama though. Yeah, it's it sounds like something my mom would like, and my mom's and I's tastes tend to align more times than not. So yeah, that that sounds that sounds great. I'll definitely be looking that up. Yeah, uh, Alexander Breckenridge is the lead. She's really good. Martin Henderson. My only real I have a review of it on my channel. My only real flaws with the series is I there's a big age difference between Martin Henderson and Alexander Breckenridge. And I think that hurt the chemistry a little bit uh, as our main lead couple. Um, but then also there's a whole sort of plot about this um, uh, this drug ring. I don't know how else to say it. That's uh, uh, that's outside of the town, and I all of that part didn't really work very well for me. But other than that, I really enjoyed it. It's a nice little oh. binge. It's only 10 episodes, so it'll be quick. Yeah, I actually watched it while taking down my tree last year for Christmas. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, so what is your next pick? 
So my next pick uh, is an anime series. Uh, this is from 2006, and it is, and it is called Death Note. Uh, I have seen very few anime in my life. I'm slowly working on that. I've seen most of Dragon Ball, and I've, of course, I've seen Death Note. That's why I'm recommending it, because it is very good. The story is relatively simple. Uh, this teenager named Light, yes, that is his name, <laughs> uh, discovers this book that is called the Death Note. It is given to him by a god of death known as Ryuk, and Ryuk basically says, you write someone's name down in that book, and two or three days later, they die of a heart attack. And so the moral dilemma begins as, does he take advantage of this, or does he just leave it alone? And it's one of those shows where it's like, does he tempt fate by doing this and becoming essentially a god, or does he just, or does he use it for other purposes? Uh, this is, this has only one season, it has about 20 plus or so episodes, but every episode is very well done. It is in Japanese, so you'll have to read the subtitles, but we all, but I imagine our audience is incredibly smart and above average, and nobody would mind doing that. Uh, this was made into a terrible Netflix movie. Please, for the love of God, do not watch that version. It's just, it's so bad. Watch this version. This is the quintessential Death Note and the only one that truly counts. I've heard about that. And I, yeah, I heard about the, <laughs> the version, live Willem, action. Willem Dafoe, Willem Dafoe saying, saying you can't write it some, you can't write someone to die by getting eaten by a shark off the toilet is just needle uh, right in my eye <laughs> uh very good all right so my next choice is also another series and it's called romance is a bonus book and this is a k-drama series this is the first k-drama series i ever watched i did a special on at hallmarkies podcast with my friend uh sui from uh from the k-pop converters we had kind of an off week where we didn't have anything to cover and so i did this we did this k-drama episode i'll put a link in the description if people want to watch that or listen to it because uh, i think it was really interesting and uh and something different and so i watched this k-drama and uh it's it's really interesting and really sweet and funny and a chance to watch them like from a different culture if you like rom-coms if you like that kind of a thing it's about this woman who has been away from the workforce and is now divorced trying to get a job and she ends up getting a job working in in uh, the same uh, publishing uh, house as her kind of bff guy and uh, it turns out he's kind of had a thing for her all these years and so things uh there's you get a, a lot of romance and and uh it's basically like a workplace romantic comedy kind of a thing and and so it was my first time ever watching a k-drama so that was really fun and uh, you can watch it on netflix yeah i've i've been looking to go into more korean stuff because of because of parasite that yeah. movie was so excellent that it's like Oh, this is a whole nother world out there. And and I've seen Train to Busan. It's it's fantastic and still haven't seen the sequel, though I have been meaning to. Yeah. So I've been trying to I've been trying to hunt down more Korean stuff because it just seems like it seems like they're doing a lot of a lot of cool stuff. They're like Hammer in the UK during the 1950s. They were just working on a whole nother level. Yeah. Definitely. Well, what do you have next? 
So my next choice is a Netflix movie. It's from 2017 and it is called Gerald's Game. Uh, this is based off of the book by Stephen King. And it tells the story of a married couple played by Bruce Greenwood and Carla Gugino. They're going off to a secluded log cabin for the weekend to try and spice up their relationship, including some, well, sex games. Uh, like, I don't have anything else to say other than just sex games. Right. And so as they're about to get ready, uh, Bruce Greenwood chains uh, Carla Gugino to the bed with a pair of handcuffs. And as he's about to start doing the thing, he has a heart attack and he dies, which leaves Carla Gugino basically handcuffed to this bed with no cell phone, no water, no anything. She just has to stay there. And as and the longer she's there, the more she is confronted by her inner demons and her very tragic past. Uh, Stephen King books can be kind of hit or miss. I like more of them than I dislike them. But sometimes the movies that are based off of them can be just out and out laughably bad. But where Gerald's Game does stand out is one man, Mike Flanagan, the best horror director going today. He's recently made a splash with The Haunting of Bly Manor. He's also done The Haunting of Hill House. He also did Oculus, which was one of my favorite horror movies of the 2010s. Like he's he's been doing a lot of great work. He did Doctor Sleep, which is another Stephen King book. So like he is he's he's basically over 9,000 at this point. He cannot be stopped. And Gerald's Game was one that I feel like got under the radar, but I think everybody should check out at least once because it is fantastic. Bruce Greenwood is normally somebody that I associate with being the very likable but serious guy who's been through a lot but is always willing to offer you a pearl of wisdom this time he's just a real jerk and and it it took me a while because it's like wow like bruce greenwood is never like this and it turns out he actually has a lot of depth to him and carla gugino who i've been a fan of for a very long time in even terrible movies like sucker punch from Zack snyder she's the best part and she's the best part of this movie as well uh, she's essentially tied to this bed or handcuffed to this bed. So her, all of her acting has to be done while she is essentially stuck in this bed without literally, without literally much to do except for flashbacks. And props to her, she absolutely crushes every scene that she is in. Uh, I won't go into any, any spoilers because honestly, it's best if you don't see any trailers or spoilers for this, but just it will leave you stunned. My one problem with the movie is the ending. It's one of those sweet cream on an ice cream sandwich, what in the blue hell was that kind of ending? Like, it'll leave you like just, it almost ruins it for me. It almost ruins it. But thankfully, Mike Flanagan is a very steady hand behind the camera. And like the rest of the 99% of this movie is, is top of the charts. Cool, I've heard of it, I've not seen it. So that's really interesting. All right. Well, mine, as you like to say, is a hard left turn. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're talking about either the Pirates or Pirates Band of Misfits, depending on where you live. And this is from the folks over at Ardman. And this is a really funny, charming stop motion animated film about this this band of pirates led by this pirate king uh, that are a mess and always get into trouble. And my favorite, I think, joke of the whole movie is the uh, is the little monkey that has all the cards uh, with 
<laughs> then there's always pulling up the, the correct the sort of the commentary on these cards um at just the right time and there's a lot of funny jokes with that and uh, you have you know great vo vocal cast and the incredible attention to detail that only Ardman can do uh, and a lot of people haven't seen it and it's really charming and funny and so I think people should give it a shot yeah Ardman is uh Ardman is kind of like an Ardman movie is kind of like pizza even the kind of ha 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 ones are still like better than 90% of the animated movies that we get like in in a given year and I'll admit the Pirates is one, is one of the ones that I've seen the least. Uh, I've seen more along the lines of Chicken Run and Flushed Away and any of the mm -hmm. Wallace and Gromit stuff more than this one. But I do remember loving it because, well, I'm a fan of Ardman. I'm, I'm an Ardman mark, basically. Uh, this has a really, really good cast in here. Hugh Grant is in it. He's kind of been on a bit of a comedy streak with like this and Paddington 2. Like he's He's basically been on a bit of a comedy run as of late, and that's always nice. Uh, Martin Freeman, who I'm a big fan of from The Hobbit and from Sherlock, he's really cool. Uh, David Tennant, one of the doctors, he's in there, and he's really cool. So, yeah, this is one of the more stacked casts of any yeah. art picture. And normally, they get some pretty big names. Like, in Chicken Run, they had Mel Gibson, which he was, like, he was, like, one of the biggest things going just in Braveheart, yeah. like, he was on top of things. So yeah, definitely recommend this one because I mean, it's Ardment. So of course I'm going to recommend it. Very good. So what do you have next? Yeah. One more note on that. Ardman and Leica deserve more respect. Let's yeah, make, definitely. Let's make that. And a I just love stop motion and I've seen some of the, well, I've seen some of the panels of the, of just the sets of that they made for particularly for pirates and the detail the attention to detail in the ship and in some other things is just um, amazing yeah so, so my next choice is my most recent movie on the list and it is goosebumps 2 haunted halloween uh from what i've been able to ascertain from looking at letterboxd and twitter and all that is that nobody's really a fan of the goosebumps movies i think i'm I think I'm an island of one when it comes to these. Like I liked the first one. The first one is not, it, it's not like, it's not cinema. Like it's not like Citizen Kane or anything, but for someone like me who read the R.L. Stein books growing up and going into that movie, I was quite frankly surprised that they were able to turn it into something at least kind of watchable, like, like even good. And in the case of Goosebumps 2, I like this movie not for anything profound in terms of story or characters or anything of the sort, but I love this movie for the simple fact that it is dripping in Halloween atmosphere. Like, you cannot watch this movie and say to yourself, you know, they certainly captured the feeling of Valentine's Day. Like, no, it's, it's a Halloween movie through and through. It embraces that and it absolutely, it absolutely owns it. Uh, the villain in this movie is my favorite part. It's the little dummy guy. And when when I hear people say, oh, I hate dolls and ventriloquists, I'm like, that's a weird thing to hate. But then I see this movie, I'm like, now I understand. And he's, he just has, he has a lot of corny one-liners, but they just happen to work. And there's a lot of, a lot of fun effects and funny jokes in here, like killer gummy bears. I've never been able to look at a gummy bear the same way ever again, especially those tall ones, like in those three yeah. pound ones. I'd be like, <laughs> get that thing away from me. But um, 
But yeah, Ghostbumps, Ghostbumps, Goosebumps 2 is a relatively easy watch. It's not even 90 minutes long. It's 89 minutes, but it's dripping in Halloween atmosphere. It's got a really fun story. It gets in, it gets out. It knows what it wants to be and it succeeds. Yeah, I can't remember if I gave it, if I went fresh on that one, but it does have some fun qualities and I definitely went fresh on the first one. Um, okay, so my last pick is a one of my favorite little sort of surrealist comedies. We're talking about Stranger Than Fiction. And this is, I, I, I really love this movie. Will, Will Ferrell plays this man who wakes up one day and he has a voice in his head that's narrating his life and telling him uh, what what he's doing. And it's Emma Thompson's voice in her head. And I mean, in his head. And he starts to sort of research it with Dustin Hoffman, who uh, is a uh, literature professor. And because you think he thinks that that this voice is telling a story. And so there's a lot of in there about like, what kind of story are you telling in your life? And uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal plays this kind of angsty banker, uh, baker. And there's a really cute scene where he brings her flowers and it's all different kinds of flower. It's, it was, it's really cute. And, and, uh, and he starts to kind of come alive as he starts to think about his story and what his story is. And it has a great cast, like I said, uh, Will Ferrell in a more serious role. Um, but still there's some funny parts and uh, Dustin Hoffman, Emma Thompson, Queen Latifah's in it. Um, it's uh, it's really good. And I, I don't know. I just love the idea that kind of, he realizes at one point that like he's not telling a good story in his life and, uh, and what's he going to do about it? And, uh, and so I, I like that idea. Like if you, if somebody were going to make a book about your life, would you want to read it? Is it a good story? And uh, I think that's an interesting idea. So I, I really love it. I think it's really good. Yeah, this is a movie that I had always heard heard nothing but good things about, but just never saw. I think this came out around the time where I wasn't the biggest fan of Will Ferrell. I think mm-hmm. he can be funny, but for like every elf or Talladega Nights, there's like two or three other movies where it'd be like, are you even funny? Like, what are you doing? And so Mm -hmm. judging from the sound of what you've been saying, this seems like, this seems like some where he's actually kind of likable. And in that case, I'll definitely have to take a look. And he's even, he's a uh, IRS agent. He still manages to be (laughs) likable. Nobody likes those guys. No. Uh, And uh, so, yeah, I, I, uh, I recommend it. I think it's really good. So what is your last recommendation? So my final pick is from 1982, and it is one of my favorite movies to watch around this time of year, uh, Poltergeist. Uh, there is a very prevalent urban legend surrounding this movie that is in many ways far more fascinating than the movie itself. To make a long story very short, this movie was being made around the same time as a little movie called E.T. the Extraterrestrial. You may have heard of it. Uh, Steven Spielberg was supposed to direct not only E.T., but also Poltergeist. But the problem was is that Poltergeist was being distributed by MGM. E.T. was being distributed by Universal. And so Spielberg was under contract with Universal. And so he had to back out of doing Poltergeist because of the legal hornet's nest that he would have stepped into if he had done it. So he ended up going into more of a producer's role 
and he elected his friend Toby Hooper, director of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, to direct it. However, in subsequent interviews throughout the, the, throughout the coming decades, people have said that Spielberg directed more of the movie than he likes to let on. But the man himself has said, this is a Toby Hooper movie, I just produced it. It's one of those legends that is just, it's just lovely to think about. But Poltergeist is definitely a Spielberg movie done through a Toby Hooper lens. This is not as violent as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. However, there are definitely some moments where you're like, oh God. Like there's a dream sequence which involves a guy picking at his face. I will go no further. I'm sure you all can uh, put two and two together in your head. And then there's another one where it's just, where I'm sure it instilled a, a fear of clowns into an entire generation of kids. Uh, but why I'm recommending this movie is that at its, when you strip it all away, strip all the horror elements away, this is a Steven Spielberg movie. And it's, I do, and if he had directed it, I don't think it would be in his top tier, but it definitely has the heart of a Spielberg movie with the horror of a Toby Hooper movie. Uh, Craig T. Nelson is in it, and he's great as usual. I think, I think his entire career has been playing fathers, which I mean, he's always been good at. So, you know, go with what works. And what I love about this movie is that the family that they present love each other. Like the sisters and the brothers, they all love each other. The husband and the wife love each other. Uh, a trend that I noticed throughout the 80s was that they like to present like separated families or divorced families or fathers or mothers that were no longer in the picture. But in Poltergeist, you actually see a pretty happy family and they work through all of the crap that they have to go through together. And when they do eventually succeed, it's one of those fist pump in the air kind of moments. It's great stuff. So Poltergeist is definitely... I wouldn't say it's underrated because there's a sizable chunk of people that love this movie. However, if you have not seen it, I do recommend it, though yeah. there are definitely some hardcore moments, but just moments. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. It's definitely on my list <laughs> of, uh, of uh, horror films to finally watch. Uh, I just watched Halloween, so I'm getting there. I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I'm working on it. So very good. Well, there you go. That is our picks for Netflix. Let us know what you've been watching on Netflix. What are your favorites? We'd love to hear in the comment section or on Twitter what you have been watching. And uh, Ryan, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at RyanCam20. And then there's, of course, my YouTube channel, uh, RyanCam uh, Movie Reviews. Uh, I'm coming to the final stretch of Scary Mania. Yesterday, I uploaded my video on The Exorcist. And then today, I'm going to be dropping, uh, if I can remember the running order, uh, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then I'm going to be finishing out the month by talking about the 80s, the 90s, and of course, the horror movies of today. And then, of course, I'm still going with the AFI project. Uh, Midnight Cowboy is in the editing suite. It's just got to be finished and rendered and that's going up sometime next week and so i've got a lot of content coming your way i'm going to be talking about the mandalorian when that drops so now's a good time to subscribe definitely make sure y'all are checking it out and make sure you're following me at rachel's reviews all of our social media itunes youtube and on rotten tomatoes 
please check that out and make sure you follow the Hallmarkies podcast. We are starting Christmas coverage. The first movies are this weekend, so it's coming and we're really excited about it. And so make sure that you are following us there. We can have tons of cool interviews, tons of cool things going on. So check that out. And uh, thanks again. And um, check out our patron group. We really appreciate that support. We also have our merch store, which has tons of fun designs. So check that out as well. And thanks everybody. And we'll talk to you all next week. Bye everyone. Bye.